0: Welcome to Judgment Day, the film podcast that fits your favorite films against Turnier 2. I'm your host, Michael Carroll, and our subject today is Noir Vember. My guest is Mike Caravella. Mike, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you?
1: Time no um,
0: long time no see. Um, Mike and I uh, uh, used to work together during Fashion Week um, because we're such fashion forward people. No, it was a really weird period, what, like 10 years ago, maybe? Um when I mean, yeah. we how long we been but when, when when we started working together because we worked together for a while during New York Fashion Week when it was on and I met
1: you in two thousand I'm gonna go back in time and say September two thousand eight, which is yeah, I think that's I, I don't know
0: what fashion show that was. It was like spring is is September spring and I don't think I yeah I think it was I think it was September I don't think either of us had any gray hairs at the time I think that's that's a good metric I definitely have more now than I had then yeah. but I saw gray when I was like eighteen I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, so I, I came off of the horror movie Hangover of October and I'm bracing myself for Christmas movies. Um. Uh, in next month and you know I always felt like uh, November was like a good uh, like a month that was like really like it should have a theme and um, I've kind of been back on to social media a lot more than I was I took like eight years off of social media and um, that's when I discovered that there's this noir November thing where like people are watching film noirs in November and I was just like great Uh, a, a, a purpose for my media consumption this month, and um, so um, thinking about um, people I know who I'd love to have on to talk about film noir, when Mike and I were working in Fashion Week, they're, they're, the funny story is that there w- that everyone kept talking about <laughs> years later was we were at a wrap party, and um, everyone was jovial and having fun because it was just like a really grueling particular season and. At one point, for whatever reason, like naturally, the music faded down, and everyone turned and looked at us because we were yelling at each other over what constituted uh, film noir <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was
1: a good conversation, and that was a fun night uh yeah what was what was what were we, which was it a specific film we were arguing about we were arguing and I remember Tim was making fun of me after yeah. that. I was saying film noir and he was making fun of my voice. <laughs> but I think that's why you got me on here and you got me to say I, I know that night you we were like, I'm going to get you on a podcast one day. I was like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Let's see. Um, we were talking about what is a noir and then what it would actually apply to beyond its traditional films.
0: Knowing who I was then, I think that it was like, I had this crusty idea from reading um, like Paul Schrader's essay on film noir, that it is, um, that film noir is a, uh, an artistic movement, uh, an artistic an era in art. And that I, I had a very rigid view of film noir, that it was like, um, it's from 1940, to 1959, it started with Stranger on the Third Floor, mm-hmm. and it ends with Touch of Evil, uh, and and that's it. And they're only American films, and they're only you know, uh, and, and there's a lot of variety within that. And I think you are making the case, you know, um, but it's it's funny because like I, I spent a, a fair amount of time looking at like different ideas of what film noir is. This to prepare for this episode and I don't know, I'm also like not like in my twenties anymore and I'm more open to the idea of like people can call it whatever the fuck they want to call it. Yeah, it's so nuanced. I mean you can you know,
1: you can make the case that, you know, I don't want to get into it, maybe it's too premature, but it's beyond just like those twenty years or whatever it was. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. Do you want to yeah. into it? But um I mean that period of films that kind of like was highlighted as like what film noir is. There's so many pieces that you could take from there and, and apply it to so many different films beyond that uh, parameter. That it kind of you know it uh shatters that idea
0: in many ways. Yeah, I mean I I I like the idea of understanding um, understanding it as as a movement because I like the idea of saying, you know, it was, um, I don't even know why. I think I think, I think what I liked about it was like being able to like, un, you know, put my own definition on it because then I can wrap my head around because then you can say like, you know, yeah, just like like erotic thrillers from the 90s were like uh, film noir and it's just like a lot of them just like they, they don't have a similar feel to me. Well, let, let's back up a second. The, the three yeah. films we are talking about here
1: is <laughs> we're talking uh, in uh, Cinemax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're
0: talking about Jade from 19. No, no. Uh, we're talking about 99 River Street from 1953. We're talking about Raw Deal from 1948, as opposed to the Schwarzenegger Rod Deal from I think it was 85. And then we're talking about Blade Runner from 82. Um, and we were texting, um, trying to figure out what. Films to to go off of, and and you gave me a great list of stuff. You know, there's, I, I pride myself on there being a lot of films that I had seen, um, and and but I also really wanted to like take this time to like kind of see new stuff. So um, I had never seen Ninety Nine River Street. I had never seen Raw Deal. Um, uh I, well, so let's just jump into it. Let's just do um, Ninety Nine River Street. I got a little synopsis here. Um, Ernie Driscoll is a former boxer now working as a New York cabbie over the course of a single night. His wife leaves him. He gets set up by an actress he's friendly with. Uh, his wife gets embroiled in a jewel heist. Uh, she gets murdered and Ernie gets framed. And then a whole bunch of mayhem culminates in a fight on a dock. That's, broadly speaking, the, the plot of the film. In um, 90 minutes, more or less. Yeah, uh this and Raw deal I was just like yeah cuz I think that there was another film that uh you had recommended it was um it was an IRA film by the guy who did um the third man what was it? I have to look back. Yeah. Uh and I it was between that and this other film and I was like oh uh, 80 minutes is just such a ah
1: was it beautiful. all on Road
0: Street? Um i 'll look it up i 'll look it up and put it in the show notes um, so um when did you when did you first see ninety nine river street um well according to the dVD that i have burned
1: it actually is two thousand and nine because <laughs> <laughs> it said it beautiful out of it. So, yeah it was a, uh, I found i was willing really to film noir i still am i think this is one of the great uh some genres, or whatever you want to call it, um, but I had kind of exhausted my DVDs that I could rent and buy from the internet because there's so many that are like just B films, and you know they just weren't printed onto disc. They just got lost. i They were just maybe played on TCM. But I found a guy on the internet, as we all can do, um, and he was—I don't know if I should say this. He was if I, it
0: feels sketchy i'll <laughs> I'll beep it out or something.
1: no well, I have, like, anyway, long story short, I got access to a huge library of these rare film memoirs that i had a I had accumulated like a list of, just reading like all these essays and books, you know and you, you see all these titles like where are these films coming from? So you know started to uh, write them down, and I found a place to watch them all, and I watched many of them from this
0: internet place well i'll tell you what's amazing is that um you know looking up uh finding these films uh like because when i when you sent me that list part of it was like okay how can i see these films and that's something i'm always doing with this show um i was able to find this on a website called youtube.com i actually was able to find this and and raw deal it was like um amazing there's so many films on it now back in the
1: day they weren't really there
0: I guess that's only ten years ago, but, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, well, yeah. But uh, what the, what a difference does ten years make? Because I remember, I remember being like, yeah, like nineteen, uh, you know, eighteen, and like in lieu of not having a personality, I was like trying to like, you know, watch obscure films. But like, you know, you see DOA, you see, you know, uh, like you you hit the the deep cuts, which are like, you know, Maltese Falcon, Lady from Shanghai, yada yada yada, and then yeah, you look, try like to get potential. Yeah. And then you and then you try and then you try and go for the deep cuts and and those were those were hard for me to find so um, you know um, that that's I'm actually looking forward to like um, catching up on a few more of these because yeah. because they're so um uh, they're so uh, you you know that there's a baseline like pleasure level of like sitting down watching this and like like what you can unpack from yeah. this. So so, you put, so you saw this about 10, 12 years ago. What was it that stood out for you at the time? And, and you re- went back to it recently. What was it that, how was going back to it? Well, I mean, I guess what
1: my love for noir is to begin with is like, it's very stylized and there are elements of it. Like there's so many things going on for it. Um, yeah, well, like, obviously, the, the visual element is like, you know, it's a lot of dark shadows and high contrast. and Yeah. It's a very interesting use of lighting, which I really appreciate. And then there's also, like, you know, a lot of great scores and the dialogue is hard-boiled. And all these things kind of, like, they all appeal to me. There's, the plots are relatively simple, but also complex at the same time. But sometimes, you know, what the hell's going on?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, like, it's usually, like, a tapestry, like, a, a very, like, uh, easy to understand tapestry uh, of, of plot w- w- within which like all sorts of pathos can...
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all these things are kind of like really well done in these films and as a low budget as they are, man. I mean, uh, non was, you know, played as a B-film on some random theater like, you know, it got lost in the hands of time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's obviously managed to survive somehow. But... Uh, you know, so I guess that kind of separates like the great noirs from the not so great ones where like they, they kind of have elements of these things, but they're maybe they're poorly done and then it's kind of like uh, forgettable noirs. So, but like, that's like most films in any
0: genre, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, looking at the Wikipedia page for this, they they had like the New York Times review of this movie from mm-hmm. like 1948 and, and uh, I can't remember exactly what they said, but it was disparaging and it was like, dismissive, and uh, um, I was just like, well, Jesus Christ, it's like, you know, it's not great, but it's not that bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, mm-hmm. No, sorry. So
1: it's like, but going back to your question of why this film stands out, it's like, you know, it is a great score. The uh, the characters are very seedy, and they're kind of like, um, they're well-acted they're well uh, to it. Sometimes there's like these cheesy performances in, in films, but like, uh, everything kinda I think hits the nail on the head when it comes to what constitutes a great film noir. Um, yeah. I mean
0: they're, often they're like they're like um, like Hong Kong action films, like it's like you don't necessarily know if like the whole film is going to work and it doesn't really necessarily matter if the whole film works, but like okay. you're you're like, oh but there was this one fight or there was this one and so I glossed over it in my summary but like what happens is um uh Ernie the main character he has uh this uh, this friend who's this actress and there's this wild scene in the middle of the movie like really before like the plot really kicks in yeah, yeah, where yeah. where she like um says uh she's like an up-and-coming actress and you know at the beginning that she like has this rehearsal and she's like Ernie I need you to to come with me uh uh, uh, once the movie kind of like 20 minutes and she goes Ernie I need you to help me out here um I I killed somebody and she takes him and she does this like to, to this theater where she was like meeting with this producer and she tells this story which is just like over the top acting and like um she's like you know oh my god he, he he tried to attack me uh and I didn't know what to do I lost control and then he's like it's not your fault you didn't do anything wrong I'm going to help you get rid of this body and then and then like the producers come in and go lady you have the part I told you this girl could could sell this she got yeah. she sold this dumb cabbie that like yeah you know, I'm just like that's so fucked up and it's like so yeah. much fun uh, yeah and, and, and that's really
1: what it is. Like, it's a fun film I' like, like like these scripts are so simple yeah. and you know there's plot holes but the plot holes are fun because the movie's not really winking at the audience because saying like what makes this movie great is like it takes itself seriously but yeah. it also kind of allows us some it le- like it allows itself to kind of like make these like these uh, take these critical liberties or what have you with the story and you kind of just go along with it because it's just fun and the characters are all they're enjoyable to watch on the screen and it's just like you know
0: it's kind of that fertile ground where like everyone, like everyone working on this is like, yeah, I mean, I'm working on this picture now and, um, you know, in six months I'll be working on a Western and yeah. um, in six months I'll be working on a sci-fi film. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter. I'm going to go for, I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to try and make something out of this piece, you know, but like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, you know, like it's fertile yeah. ground for like really yeah. like wild stuff. Yeah, director Phil Carlson for this film, he was
1: considered like he was, Basically locked into like the B film industry. Mm-hmm. He was one of the best B film, uh, di- like the uh, directors of his time. Him and maybe like you would say like the guy who did Detour, uh, Edward G. Ulmer. Yeah, like, guys, they they were very good at their craft, and they made the most with what little they, they were uh, what they were basically giving.
0: Uh, yeah, so. I haven't seen Phoenix City Story. I've I like yeah, looking Phoenix into this. Yeah, uh, You know, there's some
1: throwaways, but that's just the way that world was back then, you
0: know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, 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 the lead in this film, John Payne, because, yeah. I, you know, I think uh, so much of this specific film um, kind of uh, leans on his face. Like, like he. it's just like, it's a melancholy film, and I think he, he is able to exude this, like, dopey, he, former, bo, you know, like punchy, like palooka, you know, like all these like Tom Waits words come into mind when I think about like his his, his performance in this. And it's funny because I was watching this and I was thinking, wow, they really dug up some like, you know, raw piece of meat that that could like act. And, and I didn't realize that he was the same guy who played the love interest in Miracle on 34th Street. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, had revisited that film maybe two or three years ago and, and I don't remember him very well in it, but I, to
1: be honest, it's, it's, lot, I mean, lot. it's
0: fine. It's, it's, it's very sweet. And he, yeah. I remember him being a very glowing presence. Just, just, just remembering, you know, like, just like it, what I remember is like in stark contrast. So I was, he sold me on that. Um, he sold me on that performance. I, I think that the, like, Whole second half of the film isn't nearly as interesting as the first half because, like I said, it's a film that's very much about like like creating a lot of mayhem, um, and and, like and on River Street or I'm not on Street. Yeah, no, River Street, River Street. I'm I'm done. Time up. Kind of interesting. He's taught, he's worked on two films with the word Street in it, but okay. Oh, ooh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't make that connection. Maybe that's how he got the role. Um, but like. Uh, yeah, like there was all there it's it's like the whole first half of the film was like like anything can happen. There's like five different like um plots that are kind of weaving in and out of each other. And it was like a little too neat at the end. Um Yeah, that was more if crit- I had any critique, but like, you know. Yeah, but and that's an interesting point that
1: you made because most noirs i you know, you would argue uh, you know, if you read some criticism, you know, it's always like a very bleak ending, and I do enjoy those films too. There's, a, there's many of them, yeah. and it's not common to really find a uh, happy ending. Know oh why. yeah,
0: yeah. That's that's the other thing is that this is like a super happy ending. Like it yeah. starts with him being like, and this was kind of like my other like big thought during watching the film is that there's uh, definitely a touch of like the the misanthropy. Um, streak and maybe even uh, you would say misogyny streak in this one because it just opens with him yeah it's opened with him being like oh my bitch wife won't leave me alone and she wants me to just like you know and then she's cheating on him and then he he falls in love with this other woman you know like everyone else around him like he's just this really sweet nice guy and everyone around him is really cruel and it it does a bit of a disservice to you know, like, like I, I thought of some other like like it's, I think it's a thing that like you see in a lot of there's a cliche in in like certain screenwriters' ability to like flesh things out where it's just like you know he didn't have a lot of dimension to him and everyone else is kind of as a as a sadistic streak but um, it all worked out everything was super happy yeah well
1: yeah, and that's kind of
0: interesting just because this one um,
1: I guess it kind of bent for like i think the hollywood code was still in effect when they had to have a happy ending or that may have just been like a script thing that they had to do but uh yeah normally well that's not really normally I guess, I guess but i'm like how would the movie end if it was a sad ending it was like the guy may have gone away with it and he would have been stopped by the police and arrested and that would have been the end of it for him
0: well, I think that's a great segue actually to our next film, you know, if, if, if you want to do that. Um, over to uh, 1948's Raw Deal. Um, so the synopsis is the fall guy, this fall guy, Joe Sullivan, busts out of jail. He's on the lam and he's torn between his moll, for lack of a better term, Pat, and his do gooder caseworker, Anne, who he's kidnapped. Um, He's got three days to lay low before his ship leaves town. Uh, He's trying to collect fifty thousand dollars owed to him by a psychotic pyromaniac crime boss played by uh, or named Rick Coyle. Um, And uh, hearts get broken, cars get chased, punches get thrown, and there's yet another fight on a dock. Mm -hmm. Um, And and see, whereas Ninety Nine River Street, I think, had like a lot of like um, there was like like that was there was a melancholy this film is much is more is much more brooding and i know those are similar words but they're not the same word um th- there's a real bleakness to this film and and part of it is that you know it kind of is about it's centering people who are just real assholes um yeah i mean that's pretty standard but, that, but that's
1: what i love about it it's like because it's like the heroes aren't really heroes. They're anti heroes, or they're like, you know, in the first case with the other film, Onion River Street, it's kind of like a guy down on his luck, finds himself in a bad situation. Yeah, nice guy. he has know. to get himself, and he has no choice to escape this doom. I think doom is the, is the great thread that kind of connects all these film noirs. Well, all film noirs, like doomed characters, and they're trying to escape this,
0: this Yeah. Fate. There's an ugliness
1: that they are yeah, they, they, aware that they're on the road to uh, destruction or death, yeah. what have you. And in a raw deal. This guy wants to get out of prison. Yeah. And he does.
0: But he's—he's—he's like, he's,
1: he's, he's allowed to escape by the by the boss, by this crime syndicate boss. Yeah. Because uh, he knows he'll never make it out. So the only way to like as like a favor, like, okay, you did the time, I'm 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 gonna get you out. But in the back of his mind he knows he's not making it out. So he's basically a setup.
0: Yeah, he's the he's it, those three days that the film kind of takes over is like time that like basically this uh this mob boss didn't ever think that he would get. He he was kinda like he sets up he allows Joe to like bust out, he sets up the means for him to bust out, but yeah, like it, just with the understanding that like, you know. It's just the odds are never in this guy's yeah. favor, and but odds, he,
1: manages, he manages to defy the odds.
0: Yeah, well, for a little while. Well, but that's, that's the interesting <laughs> yeah. thing, though.
1: I don't know uh, because, which is the thing in in this one, in, in the case of like you know he's doomed. He does have the opportunity to actually escape, and he and he stops, and decides he is going to go on and find his boss
0: and kill him. Well, yeah. So, 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 just to flesh out the plot, the plot a little bit. And, and no, no. Um, what I, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this film, actually, just just backing up a little further, still, is that it. The 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 plot ostensibly revolves around this guy Joe, um, but his his girlfriend uh, Pat, uh, his like you know, uh, gangster girlfriend. She is um, she narrates the film, and and the film kind of centers her in a very interesting way and so she's she's in love with joe joe's in love with anne and you know thinks that she, you know wants to reform joe but you know then she gets kidnapped by him um so so basically the, the the film kind of um you know gives joe a lot of the agency in the film and yet in the third act you know uh rick the mob boss has kidnapped now he has kidnapped Anne. They they let Anne go at some point. He's kidnapped Ann and um and they call up the hotel. They know that 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 Joe and Pat are staying out in, and, and um they and Pat picks up the phone. They're like, if you ever want to see Ann again, you'll be at the dock at uh, nine o'clock. And she at first she goes, uh you know, well we have to get we have to get out of town and we'll get on this boat at six and then right before they leave, she's like, "Ah, oh, I can't do this. You have to go save this other woman because, you know, she, yeah. she's like, it's, 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 it's really tense. It was, it yeah. was really, like, a good.
1: And it's interesting, like, most noirs that do have voiceovers don't have women that narrate films. It usually is from, like, a yeah. male perspective. So, like, but in this film, the fact that they do use her perspective for the, for the narration. Is interesting because I, I guess otherwise the story really wouldn't really the story uh, it might not work otherwise because you know it's kind of her experience even though it's mostly Joe's the, the way they chop it up but uh, what are you gonna do for a low budget? Yeah,
0: like, but but no, but that's the like that's the thing is like that's the stuff that like you know you, you can't really pay for is that like um, you know like the whole yeah like that that whole like um, those plot twists in the last twenty minutes they're really engaging and and I was, I was genuinely involved, like, as opposed to like, you know, like going through the mechanisms of the plot at the end of 99 river street, you know, like the, you know, which, you know, beautifully shot and, you know, but, but with this one, it's just like, um, yeah, like the all these characters have their dimensions kind of fleshed out and, um, and, and, and sort of realized. And so, you know, um, well, I don't, yeah, I don't want to say anything specifically about film noir, but like it's something that like when it when it actually works, you can feel it and it's so hard, you know, um, you know, it's so hard to tell exactly when it is. But some of it's Yeah, I think it's just like having everyone. Think, to- like going in
1: because you know, the movie could have
0: ended right now. Well, I guess
1: if the movie ended when they got to the dock and were about to leave before the woman got uh yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm big with names, but the uh, yeah. the, Pat.
0: That's
1: the. She's Pat. kidnapped.
0: Oh, Anne gets kidnapped. Pat gets is kidnapped. Pat. Yeah, Pat's Pat, with
1: Joe. Yeah, is in love with uh. Joe. Joe, but Joe doesn't even like her. He kind of like despises. Yeah. Her. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And she's like, all right, I guess. Oh, let me tell you, the girl you really love is has just been kidnapped, and they're gonna kill her if you don't show up. It's like, all right, yeah, well, yeah. I'm gonna go. But at that point if the movie ended that way, you know, that would have been pretty dark, too, because, you know, that girl would have been probably murdered.
0: Yeah. The other two would have went off in some... They'd have been happy. Yeah, because she actually oh, yeah. gets this, like... She, she gets her super happy ending, but, like, it, it just yeah, doesn't... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't really... It would never work, because yeah. she know in the back of her head that, you know, he actually loves this other woman, and she's responsible for him being killed. So, um, yeah, and then, basically, Joe goes off at just... Uh, I don't know. I don't, yeah, we don't even need to spoil it. Um, uh, we can This know. film in particular, though, raw
1: deal. is like uh, as far as like the uh, craftsmanship of it. Yeah. Like, it's the uh, DP is John Alton, He's like uh, he's one of the great American team yeah. men. I mean, uh, team men. Yeah, that was that came out before this one, and another amazing film. Same same uh, same director. Uh, and mm-hmm. But um, the movie is so dark. And, like, he's like, it's so beautifully shot with, like, uh, you know,
0: I think. Oh, he did the big combo. That was a good one.
1: It's very expressionistic. I and, mean, like, he's this fog and, like, in such almost like magical ways. Yeah. Like, there's a scene where, like, uh, they're hiding in the woods for whatever reason. And this mountaineer guy comes up to them, tells them that they have to leave. And then, like, mm-hmm. rides off into, like, something. Sunset, sunrise, like, magical sky. Do do you remember that part? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, in any case, I guess the point I made is that the cinematography is really, like, on point. It's probably one of the best examples, in my opinion, of, like, film noir, uh, cinematography.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, some of the things that were going on artistically at the time was there was, like, the German expressionism influence um yep. was kind of making its way in but then also there was like um photo realism was kind of becoming a was becoming you know cameras were becoming smaller and and uh, like, and i think there's a bigger urge to like there was this it's it's in this weird dream space where there's like this urge to like capture things realistically and also stylistically you know like the both of those things are heightened and happening at the same time, and yeah. and, and no one has any money. Everyone's making the stuff cheaply, but that's <laughs> oh, it's so good. Like yeah, it just but can, Donald,
1: like he's he's a master. You know, I know I'm just mm-hmm. feel, like pretentious about that, but like it's just you know, you see other noirs like you know we were talking about a uh, DoA, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the one thing I don't like about that film so much is like conceptually, it's a great film noir. But but visually, it does not hit the mark of like a great of, of, a, a great visual uh, aesthetic. It's just kind of like you know they just put the lights on basically in film.
0: It's more See, like- that's actually exactly what I liked about about DOA was that like like it was, there were so many scenes where it's just like Ed O'Brien is just like running through the streets, being like, oh I've been I've been poisoned. I'm, I got I got i got 24 hours to live and like i don't think that like the people on the streets were extras i think that they were just like yeah, 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 who is this possible. crazy guy <laughs> i think that was really like you know that's the one thing i like about that film well i mean it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, kind of like a small point to make. yeah um anything else you want to share about rod deal yeah it's like and the
1: music you know like, thing with uh, Nine River street like the, the, the music it doesn't make the film but it adds an element of like this ominous like foreboding world on whatever you're about to see. And like, in, in a more in deal, it's like a, uh, it's, I don't know who composed the music, but it's very ominous and like scary. Like, or you, know, yeah. you, know, you feel threatened, but it's a it's a beautiful score.
0: You know, I didn't make a note of it, but I, I, I do remember watching it and like, actually like, I get, like
1: some thought about special, it. Like, like some sort of like harp
0: thing. Yeah. It's dreamlike, you know. Is that what it is? Well, it's for me, you know. Um, yeah, like this whole film has 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 a, a dreamlike quality, like more so than than a lot of others. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Particularly, it was strong in that regard. Um, let's jump on to um, Blade Runner. Uh, um, I know um, everyone's seen this. Uh, Harrison Ford is trying to kill artificial humanoids, which are called replicants, and they want, and the replicants want to live. And what if uh, people are replicants and they don't even know it? And holy shit, is Deckard, Harrison Ford, also a replicant? I, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you have a, a passing familiarity with. Um, Blade Runner. It's based on, it's directed by Ridley Scott. It's based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, but, you know, with like a lot of like elements kind of, you know, kind of boiled down to its essence. Um, uh, Which, let's start with this. What, what version of uh, Blade Runner did you watch recently?
1: Um, I've seen them all, but the most recent one, or I guess the only one I really watch anymore is the final cut.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons why i wanted to do this one was because i got an excuse to like i i think i hadn't seen the final cut yet and so i was just like fine let's you know yeah, i don't think it's that much different than the theatrical cut right i mean i i was i was looking at um different uh like run times and it was it was like literally like i i think we're talking about seconds here um well, there's one so there's four
1: cuts there's the theatrical cut right yeah the original, I guess, the, the original release. There's the director's cut, there's international cut, and then there's the final cut.
0: Have you ever seen theatrical cut? Yeah, is that the one that has the voiceover? The over? voiceover, yeah. So yeah. actually, I think that was like, that was, um, what was funny was that was like, uh, I think the last time I watched this film was uh, like 2049, Blade Runner 2049 had just been announced. And um, I uh, was kind of getting excited and wanted to get in the mood to watch it because it's a film that I, I keep, I go back to this film like every seven or eight years and like I, there's obviously elements about it that like keep me wanting to come back to it. And every time I watch it, I'm like, I, I'm just so cold, uh, but it just, it lingers in the head. So anyway, so I so I accidentally got the theatrical pet last time I saw it, which I had always been told to stay away from it. And I was like, that's fine. I mean, Harrison Ford has some some long-winded, not very, not very well-written film noir. Yeah, over. Kind of sounds he knows it's like he
1: it's like he's reading off the script. It's like this horrible dialogue. Yeah, like, just hearing his voice like, why, why am I saying this?
0: Yeah, that's it's you know, and I, I was trying to like you know, um, I was. I think, I think before I was trying to like understand why people liked it. And I think I kind of came to peace with that. And now I'm trying to understand why I have so much discomfort with it. Well, first off, let me, before I try this film, how do you, what are your thoughts on Blade Runner?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, well, like it's, it's one of my favorite films and uh, <laughs> just generally speaking, but the original yeah. one I had seen when I first saw the film was the director's cut. I never seen the theatrical cut until after it came out on some version of DVD, like I think maybe this most recent. Well, I guess I stopped buying DVDs a long time ago. So when yeah, I but- it's 2020, I bought this probably <laughs> eight years ago. So I sold. Oh, we're getting I so old. far into the Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray, which I, I stopped. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: what was the question? Well oh, yeah, what what, what what? How how often? How often do you go back to Blade Runner? Let's 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 start with uh, that cause uh, I
1: well, I had actually watched it about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed. it. I actually fell asleep in the middle of it, but I, I a, can throw I can throw a sleep in here and there if I've seen a film like you know yeah. times or time more. <laughs> but, it's, uh,
0: it's a sleepy film.
1: Yeah, well, I was like, well, I don't get into it, but um, I probably watch it at least once a year. Okay. It's, it's one of those songs where like I always get like, Oh yeah, let me watch this because it is one of my favorite
0: films it's 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 definitely a mood, it's definitely like a, yeah, yeah. a place yeah, It um, you know,
1: touches my emotional
0: strain oh know. okay, that's interesting because like i said so so emotional strain, so look, there is a great, beautiful monologue at the very end
1: mm-hmm. um
0: Rutger Hauer delivers, uh, very famous. Um, but emotionally, I mean, um, I, you know, it, it, but it's 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 so strange that he is the person to do it, and that uh, what w- what resonates with it for you. That's that's what I guess I, I, I I'm always asking my, oh, myself.
1: I mean, that that final scene, I like, I think the the whole film overall is really like a, it is a work of art in my opinion mm-hmm. because it's very poetic and all again like in the best movies uh whether it's a noir but in this case i would argue this is definitely film noir you know it takes all these elements that make a film you know all these little details and they all kind of like they're magnified to really express the themes of the film so you have like this kind of like, you know, melancholy score, it's synthesizing, you know, so it works for the future world, and, like, the lighting is the yeah. main thing. It kind of sets this tone where, like, you know, when I watch the film, I feel like I am being transported in, into a world. You know, and this movie takes place in 2019. <laughs> I mean, it's all happened last year. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, like, you know, the dialogue is very poetic, uh, and not always in the sense of, like, the, you know, that, that final monologue in, in the end where it is very poetic. Intentionally, you know, he's being very kind of like, uh, uh thoughtful with his like, you know, uh, his his mortality or that's about to he's about to experience at the end of his life. But um, I think like the like just before that or after that scene, that detective guy who's like been following, uh, yeah,
0: Edward James Olmos.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, he says it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? And I think that,
0: that's- That is how, also that, a good, night. Well, that,
1: that's that, a nice line. Yeah. That yeah. captures the whole point of the film. Like these people are like, they know they're gonna die, but they, they're trying to they're, they're trying to escape their doom. And yeah. in this case, most people don't know when they're gonna die. You know, it could be 20 years from now, it could be tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. But these people knew, you know, they, and they have the ability to escape this enslavement that they experienced.
0: Have you ever seen, Have sorry, yeah. If I can have you ever seen the film Never Let Me Go?
1: No, I know the title, but yeah, yeah I've seen it, but
0: no. <laughs> you no, know, um, it's so funny. Um something something maybe to circle back on in another conversation, but like um it's um it's a it's a sci-fi film. It's um, um it's uh based on a uh, novel by this Japanese author Kazuo Ishiguro. And um, with that, without having seen it, this is going to be a dead end. But like, uh, it—it's about people who are kind of disposable. It—it uh, it, it, it just is occurring to me now that it is um, so much of like um, what it, it touches on. A lot of the elements that Blade Runner touches upon, and I think that it clicks, uh, and it clicks for me in ways that like uh, you know. That, that that kind of moved me throughout and there's tension throughout because, you know, there's so much, you know, um, like, so, like going back to it now, Harrison Ford, you know, I, he, I he's very handsome, um, but he, I think he has a very, um, I, I'm, I'll say postmodern, like, uh, screen presence, like he's just kind of, like, Indiana Jones works because he's just like, oh, my gosh, here's now this thing's happening. Isn't this crazy? But it keeps things light. Like, yeah, there's,
1: yeah. He has you know, personality. He, has, he can be like can be confident in him. And he's also kind of like he knows he's going to make a mistake at some point. And he's gonna have to yeah, yeah. It. So he's it, vulnerable to it.
0: You know, yeah, like he he and Chewbacca like elevate each other. You know, in in a lot of ways that I think a lot of actors like like it's just like a guy next to a, a, a suit. But like but but a star but like a Star Wars film isn't going to isn't trying to plumb the depth. So I think he takes me out of it. And then I I there's just something very unsettling about um like Rutger Hauer. Uh it it's it's disturbing. It's it it troubles me how like um I want to say this like in a like I want to sound puritanical, but like I kind of want. I'm watching this film and I'm like, the replicants like are just like good guys and they should just be allowed to be good guys. And you know, I I feel like I'm inherently supposed to be supporting Harrison Ford, but also like these guys got a raw deal. And really, who are they? Like you know, um, they're just well, out for revenge. Well, I think you know? I agree with you. Like the the villains, they're not. They're not really villains. And that's kind of
1: like the whole film noir element of it is like they're, you know, in the eyes of humans or people, these are vicious, murderous uh, robots or androids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think there is a conflict because you kind of start to question your, your own, you know, like, I guess like the uh, morals of it or the ethics of like, who's really, you know, like they're all, they are no good people. You know like it's like they're all morally ambiguous. I don't know if that's even the right phrase for this. Yeah, but yeah they're all like, you know You know, there there's no clear line between good and evil in it. Like there isn't traditional films. And that's I think what I like about film film uh, like uh, in uh, general, yeah. is that there's a very big gray area where, like, these characters, all these characters, kind of exist in, and the stories exist in, and sometimes you're know, like in more the only, you know, the boss is clearly a sadistic monster that deserves. Yeah, it. yeah, sure. But the heroes of this of that film, they really know better than him in some ways because the guy that you know goes back after him, you know, he's just as vicious in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like there's a big scene where like they kill, yeah, like they kill the the head of the corporation that like. Yeah built them. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, he's just like this, like, weird, creepy, rich guy. So, you know, like, I, you know, it's, it's just a weird thing to sit there and, 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 and kind of sit anyway, but, but the film is so um, like, it's just like, the it's, it's just like, it's, it's like mist. It's just like, it's, you know, um, it's uh, energy, it's a mood. And it's hard to like, there's not It's hard to like grab onto anything in the plot and I think that's sort of to its strength to some degree but again like I I think that for me that's one of the reasons why I kind of like uh push back on it and then the other thing was like that the the style is 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 beautiful but um it when I think of a film noir you know um you know not that film noirs can't be like beautiful or or visually like stunning But, like, um, I I think um, Ridley Scott, you know, I mean, he was coming out of, like, uh, he was in the middle of, like, a very successful, like, literal, like, commercial career where he was doing, like, perfume commercials and, like, the iconic Apple commercial. And I think that, like, um, I think that I feel like when I'm watching this film, I I am watch. I I feel like I'm in the middle of a prestigious commercial for a, a, you know, large, like, product and, and I, I, yeah. that takes me out of it a little bit if i'm being honest well, i think you know there's maybe some truth to that but it's also
1: interesting because they, you know in the film there are all these big giant billboards with like coca-cola and advertising so, and it's kind of leaning into this like disgusting over like this, like post-capitalistic dystopic world and you know so i guess
0: yeah i don't
1: know yeah like hybrid i think, yeah. I, think I
0: like it, it appeals to me
1: yeah but, yeah i'll teach on
0: I mean, honestly, uh, it, it, by like 2028, I'll probably go back to it, and they'll probably they'll probably be another cut, and I'll probably be like, oh yeah, this is okay, you know. I yeah. really like I, I, I like 2049 a lot. I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Um, the other thing I, I just if if you if you'll indulge me for a second, I, as I was watching the film, I was like looking at the cast, and I was thinking, uh, Emmett Walsh. Uh, Two years later, he'll do Blood Simple. That's a real, like, that's a great when I think of, like, a noir, like, that's yeah. a, a modern noir. Yeah. Um, Rutger Hauer in The Hitcher um, is a really, like, like just menacing figure, like, who's hitchhiking a, ri- a ride in the 80s and just, like, and then the other one was, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Brian James, who, who he plays the replicant uh, at the beginning. He's, like, the, the bald, stupid-looking yeah. guy. Leon. Yeah, he was in he was in another film that uh, called Nemesis, which is just total direct to video early '90s trash. It's directed by Albert Pyun, and um, but it actually like touches on uh, again like it's it's a movie about cyborgs, and um, I think there's a lot of like stuff about humanity that um, uh, gets into you know touches on a lot of stuff that Blade Runner touches on that hits me really deeply. Um, is there anything else you want? Speaking of touching on Blade Runner, is there anything else you want to um, cover I mean, on this?
1: Make scores amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah, the score. Yeah, Vez uh, Vangelis. Vangelis, beautiful.
1: But I, I could talk about Blade Runner all, all day. The, but, the first
0: the first ten minutes, you know, with like those spaceships flying around and everything, it's just it, yeah. it's 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 really is like it puts you in a in a in a sense. You know, I'm just going in circles here. Um, Terminator Two. Great film. Great film.
1: Also watched it the other day. Uh I think it was the second or third time I've watched it in quarantine. Okay. So always fun to revisit, always something new to find. And that's the thing with Blame yeah. on it. It's always something new that every time I watch the movie, I find something new about it. You know, yeah. I discover something new and it's anything with terminator too. It's always find something new.
0: Okay, what did you find what 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 did you find this time?
1: um well i had to say that of course (laughs) yeah Uh, i'm not really sure but actually because in the context of what we were uh the reason why i was watching it this third time Mm -hmm. was because you know of this show you know you yeah yeah so like i didn't really know uh so i was trying to think like in the context of film noir like is t2 a film noir so that's kind of like how i dove into the film because i didn't really know what i was going to be talking about Mm-hmm. Today. Um, I think we were talking about T2 at that same party okay, yeah. earlier in the day for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think I was maybe making the argument that T2 was a film noir. Oof.
0: Yeah,
1: it wasn't. Maybe it was someone else.
0: I mean, it'd be but, really, it would be really tidy for, for this conversation if you did. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a, it's, I
1: would say that there are, very, there are a lot of elements in T2. That I would
0: say make T2 a film noir or a film noir-esque. That yeah, exists there in- there oh. absolutely are. Yeah, and I think a lot of what we were talking about, raw deal, um, like lends itself to that. Well, it, it, like the
1: the one thing in all four of these films are people trying to escape their fate. Yeah, doing whatever they can to escape their their fate. Yeah, uh, um, some are successful, like in Diane like Road Street, and mm-hmm. to some extent in T2. But I like just the one thing in T2 is kind of interesting. Like the score is amazing; it's ominous, like the other mm-hmm. film. It's obviously a sci-fi action film, which is similar to Blade Runner, but there's not really much of an action element, or it's it's not in the foreground so much. So much where like things are blowing off and it's chasing, you know, it's very slow, which is what I, I what I like about it. But in T2, you know, there is the voiceover. There's Linda Hamilton; she she narrates the film. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this idea of like they're trying to escape their fate. You know, the, the robots come out from the future, and they're trying to. Or one of them is trying to assassinate John Connor, and he has to escape his fate. So there's the T2, oh I guess not T2, the uh, T101, but um, you know, like the, the idea of fate once through the whole film. You know, yeah, like if we change this one thing, we change the future. Yeah. Right? And in the end, this is a happy ending, I guess. They they uh, they both live, John and uh and Linda. I'm, I'm not. Uh, uh, Sarah Connor. John
0: Sarah Connor. Connor. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's 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 a little bittersweet because Terminator has to die. He tells them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I was thinking about it. They don't really escape their fate. They in like they kind of mention it in like T three, I guess, which I don't really know.
0: Yeah, I just saw Dark Fate literally yeah, the other day. Like, like they're they're fine, but anyway, yeah. There's two films. The series can continue
1: in general is because of this one line in T2 that uh, Arnold says at some point. It's it's kind of like off the cuff, but it, he says uh, it's in man's nature to destroy himself. So all and and that's basically what's the inevitable doom of mankind is that we ultimately. uh, and destroy yourself whether it's through a robot or a climate change or you know whatever <laughs> it, it be yeah but in in this case uh in terminator one they you know kill the robot but the chip is chip survives and they didn't and the arm yeah they didn't stop skynet or it really creates skynet the ability really just change the way it's going to happen same thing in this one they kill uh
0: the, uh, or they say the, the, the they stopped the T one thousand, yeah. But they've only really just changed the future. They they haven't really changed the right. And the, and they're they're outlaws, outlaws, you know. I mean, you know, like yeah. the there There's not a lot to like. Uh, it's it's a grim future, like yeah. ahead of so it's like, like. Okay, Judgment
1: Day may not happen on the way it happened at the end of 2. It's just
0: changed the way it will happen and when. But no, but uh, you yeah you touched on something uh, one of the reasons why i think that terminator 2 especially like resonates for people um is um it, it has all of the um big uh trappings of of an action film there's like big set pieces big fights there's clearly good guys and there's clearly bad guys but there but there's also like <clears throat> it gives like the looming um dread of um <clears throat> you know nuclear war uh, Wait and 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 um, gives it space in the narrative. It, it drives um, Sarah Connor to do a, a, you know what what she's going to do. I mean, it, it's um, and and it's something that you know they they resolve it in this one like aspect of you know like well, Miles Dyson is not going to create Skynet, which will not blah blah blah. And of course, subsequent films you know do whatever they're going to do. But but that's always the feeling is like. You know, this is the time we have and we're going to make the most of it with what we have because there is this like, you know, I think, that I, and I think one of the reasons why um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. One of the reasons why Terminator 2 kind of like has been on my mind, so much is because, yeah, because, yeah, the fucking, you know, um, climate crisis is happening and, and we're all stuck inside all day yeah. and We're always on the verge of a potential war. In some yeah. Way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, no, dude, that was January when we were, you know, like, going to go to war with Iran. But yeah, I mean, there's always something, like, looming just over the horizon, you know. But in this film, you
1: know, like, you know, it's it's like, like, you're taking it back to, like, the other film wars. you know, it's, they're black and white, uh, they're dark, and Terminator 2 is actually pretty, it's shot pretty dark. There's a lot of shadow, you know, uh, it's not really well lit in the sense of like a traditional, like, you know, everything you can see. It's a lot of like dark pools of light. But what's interesting about this is what I caught this time in the film law context that, you know, traditional war is black and white, you know, I guess that's just the film stock from back then. But, <laughs> but in any case, but yeah. in, in this film, but <clears> they, yeah, you know, black and white, uh, very uh, <laughs> interestingly. But yeah. in this one, it's not black or white, obviously, it's color, but they use warm colors and cool colors in two extremes at the same time. You always feel yeah. like there's something on fire or something really hard, warm light that kind of like plays into the idea of like...
0: Yeah, it's electrical currents over like cold steel. Yeah. Like it's that's like, like the yeah. color palette yeah, of the like, film. Like, it's like the
1: robots were, they're made out of a liquid metal, you know, like melted down magma. I was watching Ocean Powers the other day, so I was in liquid high. Magma, uh, uh, Western powers. Anyway, um, I think it's like, this idea like, yeah, like this, the cold steel is always like these strong blues. These like light sources and always kind of like clashing.
0: Yeah,
1: so uh, really interesting how. they, like most people would try to like, like like white balance their film and like you know it would be warm or it be cool or daylight or like tungsten warm like lamps, but this can be like in all together at the same time and it all culminates at the very end when they're in this melting factory or whatever. It is like the, the, freezing, yeah, yeah. the freezing tank and like this lava. It's all like coming together.
0: It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that was the, that was the other thing that I was going to say about all four of these films is like, yeah, there's like these fights in the dock and then there's like a fight in this big abandoned famous LA building. And then there's this fight in this industrial center. yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm like I'm in my 30s. I'm a lot cooler on the idea of like film noir having to exist in this like um, era that I kind of had convinced myself that need to. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that there's I I don't think that you get Terminator 2 without film noir. I think that like there's a lot of like um, a lot of what makes it strong is a lot of what makes like a lot of my favorite film noir strong and so you know i don't know what i what i was saying back then but um i yeah. will uh, concede uh this point now that said just to, just to back up a second i think that's one of the things that like like the, the 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 anxiety the angst in um terminator 2 like is something that i feel very viscerally and and i think there's like this anxiety about um I don't know about about the uh, about authenticity in Blade Runner, which which oddly like um, another thing. Yeah, it just it it doesn't resonate for me. I Very think true. that I think that there's maybe also something about physical pain. I think Ridley Scott has said something about that, watching a, a brother die um, uh, from cancer, not Tony but a, another brother, um, and that that informed his vision of Blade Runner. And maybe I'll feed that into my next viewing of it, but you know, uh, no. is also Harrison Ford, not to go back, Harrison Ford, just like, um, uh, I don't want to regret it, but just like trying to kill those guys. I just, I really like the replicants. I want them to win.
1: Yeah, no, well, like he didn't want to do the job. Like he <laughs> yeah. kind of got that's him.
0: right. Yeah. That's you know, like
1: he kind of like killing people. He's basically a bounty hunter more so than he is like the traditional private detective or a cop on the beat. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. a twist on like the film noir detective, you know, because He kind of walks in the same, comes from the same lineage of like Sam Spade and all these like, you know, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Um, Philip Marlowe. Phil Phil Marlowe, like Glenn Ford in uh, Big Sheet, which is another great film noir, you know, and Glenn Ford in that one, he's like a a good cop, you know.
0: Yeah. I I just, I wish it was more like Midnight Run. There, I said it. I wish, if he was going to be a bounty hunter, that would actually be really funny. If it was like I Midnight mean, Run, if you if he he um, Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer and and Rutger Hauer's Charles Grodin anyway just yeah. just thinking out loud. You said you said Bounty Hunter and I. Well, and I, like, that's really what, that's what
1: it is. T <laughs> two, like I've come to to the conclusion, I can't say with in good conscience that T two is a film noir. I love the think okay. <laughs> threshold. <laughs> oh, you bastard! I just conceded your point. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but I would say in the like if you've seen Terminator One. There's a cool little detail on the bar. Oh, the neo-noir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cyber-noir. And cyber-noir is like a subgenre of film noir. Yeah. In context, like steampunk and all these things. But I I would say T2 and Blade Runner fall into cyber-noir. Yeah, for sure. So Blade Runner also falls into film noir. I think T2 does not fall into also into film noir. It's almost there, but it's too action-forward, I think, to break that... Uh, to get over that hump, it's too much of an action film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has the seasoning, but it's not a major increase.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But All right, it's
0: let's. Fine. It's fine. Let's 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 fight these films uh now. Um, <laughs> what, are, what are any of these films, in your opinion, better than Terminator Two? <laughs> Depends on the day. I would say I like Blade Runner better than
1: Terminator Two. Whoa. I know. I really yeah, mean, it's a hard sell because T two I put it easily in my top five favorite yeah. films of all time. And it's like if I'm on my deathbed, it's like I got two DVDs, Blade Runner, and Terminator Two. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a coin toss. I mean you just flip a coin, I'll watch either one. I mean, T two marginally it's a marginal call. I mean Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm going to say this is one of those episodes where um, I liked um, uh, Terminator 2 probably is, is is the best of all, all four of these for me. But again, I mean, I wouldn't argue yeah. against that. Yeah, uh, One of the things that makes film noir so rich is that, you know, like uh, you're going to, you know, you can kind of pick a lot of them at random and, you know, eventually you get an idea for what flavors you like more than others. And um, if, if it speaks to you, it's just one of those things where, you know, so... Before we go, let me just throw this out there. Throw out some other deep cut film noirs that that, that, that uh, mean a lot to you. Mm, that people can watch or that you wanna watch? Yeah, but no, no, whatever, yeah, I whatever. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Um, some of the great ones, easy to find, I would say Out of the Past is great. In Rolling yeah. Place is great. Um, Night of the Hunter, which is like borderline film noir. Yeah. One of the most amazing, it's just, it's up there. I mean, Treasure of the Sierra
0: Madre, it's like a desert oh.
1: uh, noir.
0: It's weird, because that's like my dad's favorite film, so I don't think of it as a noir. A noir. <laughs> I just think of it as, I, yeah, I just, it's, it's a dad movie. Yeah, yeah, though. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but like going more to like the hard to find stuff, uh, *Team* Man, I would say, which you mentioned. Uh, yeah. detour, which is not hard to find, but it's quintessential. Which one?
0: Uh, detour. Detour, yeah, Edward Edward G. Omer, yeah. yeah, beautiful stuff. And uh, there's one uh, shot in
1: three days. The Unsuspected, which is like very underrated. Actually, mm-hmm. i seem to say it's underrated, but it's just hardly ever spoken about. Yeah. Um, that's Michael Curtis or Curtis. He he actually did Casablanca. Yep. And uh, the movie is it's a wonderful uh, great film noir, The Blue Dahlia. Oh, I am going to stop. I'll say a few more. But yeah, Preminger uh, in I think the late 40s or early 50s, did two back-to-back ones, uh, mm-hmm. Sidewalk Ends and Fallen Angel. And it is like oozing with coolness, you know, like it's just like just kind of in the same as like, you know, Night on River Street. You know, it's just like great scores, cool, like sadistic characters and like simple plots where the character's just like, oh, this guy's screwed and he's gonna screw himself some more trying to get out of the situation. And uh, I guess that's about it. And "Double not
0: um, Double Indemnity. Oh, yeah. You know, um, Wilder. Just in general, uh, I, j- I just watched Kiss. Me. You know, what, we're gonna do the thing where we just talk about what we. So I'm gonna wrap it up now. Thanks yeah. for coming, Mike. Hasta la vista. Exactly.